this time, I'd invite you all to stand as we consider a message I call, When Time Runs Out, from Revelation chapter 10 and verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Obviously, our text today is set around an angelic declaration, where a mighty angel which many believe it's actually representative of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Places one foot on the ocean, one foot then upon the land, and lifts up his hand to heaven to say that there should be time no longer. It's not a statement that time itself should uh, come to an end, uh, although we do look forward to that day uh, when time is going to be replaced by eternity. Uh, We live in a universe that uh, has spatial dimensions, four uh, dimensions, three of space, length, width, and height, one dimension of time. Our understanding of the universe is built around those things, and if we took time out, then uh, we'd have to redo the universe. Of course, that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen someday. Uh, The same God who created it, in fact, we'll talk more about that in this very message But this is not a reference to time itself coming to an end, but to delay. And most of our modern translations have it that way. Uh, It says, uh, uh, New King James, for example, says, verse 6, there should be delay no longer, delay no longer. And that's the meaning. As our message develops today, we'll see this is only a part of what this... uh, Mighty messenger, and the word angel actually means messenger. This mighty messenger delivered a message. And this is only part of it, that there would be time or delay no longer. This is set in the middle of something that was going on in this great book. Uh, The book presents a time when a seven-sealed scroll was found, and it could not be opened until the Lion of Judah prevailed to open the scroll. And he began to open the scroll, the first four seals that were on that scroll. And you'll understand it's not a book, it's a scroll. So one seal broke up, and there was something written there. Then there was another seal and and something written there. The first four were the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse you might have heard of. Uh, And that uh, revealed to us the work of the Antichrist, the man of sin. Gave us four pictures of what his kingdom was going to look like. The fifth seal contained the cry of the martyrs as they began to cry out, O Lord, how long? Revelation 6, 9. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The cry of the martyr seal Number five, the sixth seal was kind of an answer to that question. Uh, Revelation 6, 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. 
And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? That was the sixth seal. The seventh seal then opened and it brought in another seven angels with seven trumpets to sound. Continuing with the story of the outpouring then of this judgment upon the earth. Jesus called this a time of great tribulation. A time such as never been before or ever shall be in Matthew 24 and 21. And so those Seals, the seventh seal, then brought us to the seven angels with seven trumpets. The sixth trumpet is sounding. This is our text. And before the seventh angel sounds, here's this message. A divine pause, an inserted message. This mighty messenger sent down from heaven and the message that is brought There shall be time no longer. Delay no longer. Once the martyrs cried before the throne of God in heaven, How long, O Lord, they'll cry it no more. How long, O Lord, until we be avenged upon the earth? How long? And this is the answer. No more delay. Time no longer. The delay's done. There's going to come a day, you see, when time is going to run out on the kingdoms of this world and on all of those who have set themselves against God and against Christ. They've rejected Jesus. They have chosen their sin uh, over Him, over the Savior. They've lived a life of rebellion and rejection. Many have mocked the Bible, hated it, Mocked the Savior of the world, whose word it is. But they have determined to live a life in opposition to God and all things godly. But one day, time will run out. That's our message for today. When time runs out. So we're going to take a few moments to look at this message from this mighty messenger. And of course, first of all, it's a, it's a pretty scary message. This mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. You can understand why most folk think this is Jesus himself. This mighty messenger. The word angel means messenger. This mighty messenger. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice. That's when a lion roars and when he cried out seven thunders uttered their voices. The lion roars for many reasons within its hierarchy, but primarily it is done as a a warning. A lion's roar can reach 116 decibels and be heard up to six miles away, depending on the condition. It isn't the loudest of all the sounds made by animals. Amazingly, I found out this week that the lowly Cicadia locust, did I say that right? Cicadia, I think that's right, can produce 
sounds at 120 decibels. <laughs> Big surprise there, huh? You knew they were loud. But the sound of the cicada is it really scary if you know what it is. Now, if it's the first time you've ever heard it, you might uh, be a little troubled by it. But the sounding of the roaring lion, as nocturnal animals they are, piercing the darkness, that sound is a scary sound. Have no way of measuring how loudly this mighty messenger is going to shout. Don't know. I've got a feeling that all humanity is going to hear it. We know that lower frequency sounds travel further. That's why the sounds of the thunder rumbling that accompanied this announcement uh, would be something that traveled a long way. But that roaring sound of a lion is not a sound chosen haphazardly. You see in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, we are introduced to Jesus Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who had prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. You see, this is Jesus' message. That's why it is often called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's His. It's His. So we see Jesus then introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but He is also the Lion of Judah who will judge the world in righteousness and bring vengeance on those who've set themselves against God and against His people. To bring vengeance upon those who have promoted sin and lawlessness and persecuted the people of God, the Lion of Judah. I want to say to you this morning that it is eternally vital that you know Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away your sin. If you refuse him, it doesn't mean you're done with him. If you refuse the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you will deal with Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah who comes in judgment. The writer of the book of Hebrews warned about it. If we go on sinning, Hebrews 10, 26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Obviously, the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about people who've heard the truth of the gospel. They know about Jesus. They may even be members of a religious organization. They may even go to church and take communion, but they've never been saved. Though they know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they have never called on Him that they might be saved. They instead have depended on some act that they could perform as if the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us on Calvary was not enough. We must somehow add in our works or bring something to bear and push that aside. As if some ritual that we could perform would somehow make 
everything right. It's no wonder the Bible speaks about outraging the spirit of grace. Oh, what a horrible thing it is then to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and repeatedly reject it. The old preachers that I grew up under were fond of saying that there's no worse place to go to hell from than a padded pew. They were right. They were right. While that's true, it's also true that the vilest sinner can be gloriously saved. Even the religious sinner can be gloriously saved. If they'll acknowledge their sin and call out to the Savior and the simple belief that his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for my eternal salvation. You see, uh, today we're looking at this mighty messenger and he's giving out a scary message. He did not deliver it apologetically. He didn't speak nicely. It wasn't a cute tweet or a text. It doesn't need technology to make it stronger. It is brutally blunt and powerfully delivered with a roar and a shout. Time has run out. Once that same voice, if this was indeed Jesus Christ, cried out, it is finished, and the work of redemption was done. But now he cries out, the time of this delay is over. Judgment has arrived. Time no longer. It's about as scary as it gets. Because those who refuse a lamb will deal with the lion. On this day when time runs out. It is also then not only a scary message but a sealed message. When the seven thunders uttered their voices I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered. And do not write them. If we ask about the seven thunders and what they said. We have absolutely no clue. Can't tell you. Anything I would say would be speculation. We know that it is associated with this mighty messenger. We know that it is coming as a part of that seven-sealed scroll that was being opened. So it probably had something to do with judgment. Uh, but we had this seven thunders and their message was sealed. It was not written down. God declares, if you look down in verse 7... Uh, that God declares that with the seventh angel, when he sounds the trumpet, then the mystery would be finished. The mystery of God would be finished or concluded or perfected. So if we had what the seven thunders said, then that prophetic mystery would be fully revealed. And we could figure it all out. It doesn't take very long when you start listening to interpretations of biblical prophecy to figure out that there's a lot of disagreement, that there's some things we just can't get our head wrapped around. One guy thinks it's this and somebody else thinks it's something else. Even people who've spent their whole lives trying to figure it all out, they just can't. We need to remember God specifically tells us that the part that would finish that mystery that had been revealed to all the prophets, that was sealed up. It was only shown to one person on this planet, and that was John the Revelator, and he took it to the grave with him. He didn't write it down. He didn't preach it. He sealed it up. It's not there. We'll never figure this all out. We'll never get it all down completely. But God has given us more than enough for us to know the basics. This world is not self-sufficient. 
It is headed toward its own date with destiny, and one day time is going to run out. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven thunders, and the seven bowls would give a complete revelation of this mystery. God didn't give it to all to us. He gave us what we needed, and what he gave us is it. There'll be no more. <laughs> There'll be no more revelation. You run across somebody that says, well, God's given me a new revelation. Uh, don't walk. Run. Run from them. If they're on TV, punch that precious button we've got and go on to somebody else. Get, them, get away from it. This is a scary message, and it is a sealed message. It's a sworn message. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. He swore. We remember when God made a promise to Abraham long ago, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 that since God could swear by nobody greater, he swore by himself. <laughs> I'm God. I swear by God. I, I swear by myself. That's what he said. And so here it is. If this is indeed Jesus Christ, as this mighty messenger, he swears by the God of all creation. You see, God created the heavens, he tells us. And in its furthest application, it's still revealing mysteries that humanity can't explain. It boggles my mind from time to time just to think about and reflect upon the fact that God created things long ago when in the beginning God created and we have just now in our generation developed the technology to even be able to see it. It's been out there all along. But we're the first generation in history that's been able to even know it's there. All the time, space is revealing new things that humanity can't figure out. But whatever is out there, I want to tell you something. God made it. God made it. He is the creator of all of space and everything in it. References the sea, all the things in the sea. And in the same way as the heavens, we're still discovering mysteries in the sea that we had no idea we were even there. God made the seas. God made everything in them. We studied the earth, and whatever we find in the earth, then God made. Man postulates theories about the things that we find in the earth, but we are as clueless about many things that we find in the earth as we are things that we find in the sea and in the heavens. We can't explain it all. And I don't really trust that scientist who does not begin in his way of thinking by saying, in the beginning God created. Because I'm enough of a carpenter to know that if you don't start right, you'll never finish right. And so since they don't start right within the beginning God created, then I've got a serious problem with what they're telling us then about the world and all the things in the earth. Whatever is down there, God made it. God made it. Whatever they find in the earth. On the earth, God has made it. Since we put these things then together in this passage, we could narrow our focus down a bit uh, to the seas, the dry land, and the sky, what we call the atmosphere. When we look in these three things, humanity today is deeply troubled. 
by what's going on in the atmosphere and on the earth and on the sea. As I've said before about many other things, just now in this, this generation, we've been able to figure out some of the ways that the sea and, and the atmosphere and the earth all work together. We've learned about things like El Nino and El Nino or whatever. You say, what's the difference? I don't know. I don't know. But for one thing, it means that the weather is going to be unpredictable here in the state of Arkansas. Bad. We're still finding out about things and why these things all work together. But, uh, oh, my, how many people are so concerned around the world about the things they're finding. They have no idea why these changes are happening in the atmosphere and the earth, why our climate is changing. They don't really know. They, they, they speculate about it, but they don't know. But I want to tell you this morning, if you read the words of this seven-sealed scroll that Jesus Christ himself has the power to open, and he did open and tell us what it's there, we're going to find out that God is the one who controls what's happening in this atmosphere. God is the one who controls what happens on this earth. God is the one who is controlling in control of what happens in the seas. And he's going to harness all of those things and bring them together. He has sworn then by this creator of all these things. One day, this creator is going to see to it that time runs out. The entire creation, we know, is groaning for its redemption because it was made subject unto futility, unto vanity, because of the curse of sin. One day, one day, this creation will experience its own redemption. As it is recreated, it's going to take the return of Jesus Christ to heal this planet. It'll take the return of Jesus Christ to subdue the nations. And he'll do that as he reigns on earth for a thousand years. And then ultimately, redoes the whole thing. What are we going to do about this? Nothing. No legislative body can cure this with any piece of legislation. No president or king can decree a change to it. No scientific discovery, no matter how many billions we spend on it, no scientific discovery will keep it from happening you understand this is a sworn message by this mighty messenger who raised his hand and called on the God of all creation. And he says, time will be no longer. No more delay. This is sworn by God himself. This will happen. This will happen. So it's a scary message. It's a sealed message. It's a sworn message. It's a sobering message. Delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to the servants, the prophets. Uh, the fact that God's creation came with an expiration date should be something that us modern folks are familiar with. 
Before we had a nameless machine to stamp things with an expiration date, people had to decide for themselves whether something was good or not. And most of us used a very simple test. <laughs> By the way, women are much better at that test than men are. And, It all involves the same principle. This is, is this something I can eat or drink? Or is it something that needs to be discarded? It gets complicated because, and I hate this. I hate it when something is stamped best by whatever date. What does that mean exactly? I mean, let's get it down to the brass hacks here. Is it, is it can I eat it or not? God is not ambiguous like that. He's very straightforward. He did not stamp the expiration date on all our foreheads or the nape of our necks. But we've all got one. Every one of us, it is appointed unto man once to die. God knows what that date is. I'm thankful that he doesn't tell us what it is. I can't imagine having to live our lives knowing the exact date and hour and moment of our death. But the fact that God did not tattoo it on our heads or our necks doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. He told us, in fact, that it exists. It is appointed unto man once to die. And he then tells us, to set our houses in order, to live in anticipation of it, to dedicate our lives to wisdom, to use our life wisely. We know we've got an expiration date. We don't know when it is. So be ready so it could happen because it could happen at any moment. It should not surprise us then that the material universe has an expiration date. And more importantly in our text this morning, the kingdoms of humanity have an expiration date. We may not think that there are kingdoms in humanity much anymore. Uh, most of the kingdoms that we see in, in the world today are, are, are symbolic. Uh, but uh, just because there's not a king there with a crown on his head or a queen doesn't mean that there aren't kingdoms. There are. Today's kingdoms involve political power. The power of social media. The power of advertising power of education, the power of scientific discovery that's driven by media and politics, not, uh, not the true science, but, but this, uh, this kind we've got in the world today, perhaps more than any other, the power of money, the power of economics. When you read this seven-scrolled seal that Jesus Christ opens for us, or, or, or seven-sealed scroll, rather, uh, that Jesus Christ opens for us in the Revelation, when you read it, you'll see that one day all of these mighty forces are going to be harnessed and welded by the hand of one man. And that one man then is the man of sin, as the Bible calls him. and We know him better as the Antichrist. He's going to establish a kingdom. Yes, it's going to happen for a time. Uh, to be absolutely biblically accurate for a time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years, it's going to seem like the enemy is winning. But right here in the middle of it all, there's a trumpet 
that's going to sound. That seventh trumpet. And guess what it says? I'm glad you're interested because I'm going to read you what that seventh trumpet is going to be. The seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the seventh angel with this message. Well, you might think, well, you know, I've read this book before, and there's a whole lot that's going to play out after that. And you're right, there is. There's seven bowls of judgment that's about to happen. There's a lot of political goings on, and that dragon that comes up out of the sea. I mean, all kinds of things the Bible talks about that's going to be happening on earth. And it doesn't matter. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Chess is a marvelous game. I don't play it much anymore. I used to. But chess is a marvelous game. Here's a pretty good player, but he's up against a chess master, world champion, the greatest of all time. The master moves. The novice moves. A few other moves are made, and suddenly the master smiles, says the game is over. He doesn't say checkmate. Says the game is over. Well, the lesser player is howling in protest at such an obvious effort of intimidation. Well, there's almost limitless moves that I can make. I can do this or this or this or this or this. How can you say uh, that the game is over, but the master just continues to smile? No, the game is over. I know what all you can do. Doesn't matter. The game is over. You see, when this angel shouts out from heaven and the voices from heaven add their cry then, or when he sounds that trumpet and the voices of heaven then add in their cry, and they say the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ are going to reign then forever and ever and ever. What he is telling us is that the outcome is not in question. As it plays out, and a lot of things are going to play out, but the outcome is already settled. No matter what happens here, nothing that happens here in time is going to affect the outcome. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Then when God declares that time shall be no longer, and then that seventh angel is going to declare that the kingdom of Christ has been eternally established. But for us here today, we are living in the midst of this divine delay. Why didn't Jesus usher in Armageddon as soon as he rose from the dead? Why didn't he just wipe out the world while he was here the first time? Why did he go back to heaven and send out the church with their great commission? Simon Peter gives us the answer about the meaning of this divine delay. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 13, he continues, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwelled, dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, 
Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider, here it is, that the long-suffering of our Lord, that's the divine delay. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. You see, when this mighty messenger puts one foot on the ocean and another foot on the continents and raises his hand to heaven and said, there'll be delay no longer, what is he saying? He's saying, this time, this time of of salvation, this time of divine delay, the long-suffering of God that means salvation, that time is over. And judgment is coming. You can read the book yourself. But that's what he says. I'm here today then to remind us all as God's people of several things. First of all, uh, isn't it wonderful that Simon Peter said that knowing all these things. That that should make us a people whose heart is full of peace. This message is not designed to scare us all to death as God's people. It's designed to allow us to look around at a world gone crazy and say, you know what? The kingdoms of this world are one day going to become the kingdoms of Christ. One day God is going to raise his hand to heaven and say, there'll be time no longer. This is it. And then the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah. Therefore, he said, since you know this, be at peace. Isn't that great? Oh, but also... Be about heaven's business. Be about heaven's business. Uh, We can worry ourselves to death if we want to. Literally, literally worry ourselves to death. Or we can spend our lives in this time of delay sharing the gospel. Because this is a time when the vilest sinner can be saved if they'll call on the name of the Lord. I want to remind you today also that you don't just bypass Jesus just because you don't like him or don't agree with him or even if you don't believe in him. You'll deal with Jesus Christ as either the Lamb of God or the Lion of Judah, one or the other. You'll face him and receive him as your Savior or you'll face him as judge. It's your choice. But I hope you understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for your sins. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you followed him in baptism? Are you living for him? Let's use this time that God has given us in a way to be pleasing to him. Stand together, please.